Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Evening all. My name is Police Constable Arsenal Guinness of the Metropolitan Plod. When I am not doing my official duties, what I do, like guarding the Queen, God bless you, Mum, averting any diplomatic incidents by keeping Prince Philip away from anyone who looks a bit foreign, burning Prince Andrew's legal papers, <laughs> Prince Harry's real birth certificate. <laughs> and any photos of the horsey-faced royals that no one can remember. <laughs> Defending lovely Princess Kate's underwear drawer. <laughs> Ensuring the Buckingham Palace kitchen is stocked full of thousands of cans of Guinness Extra Cold, should Her Majesty feel thirsty, as those beers do disappear on a very regular basis. <laughs> Whoops. And if I must... To protect our fop-haired, woefully inexperienced, bumbling f**k-knuckle of a Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, from being pelted with all manner of sticky projectiles. A job I am sadly unable to do every Thursday between 1pm and 1.05pm. As we pass Maggie McEggie's Discount Egg Emporium, Shitty McCaw's Plops Runny Bum Nugget Shop, and Jiggles McMilkshake, a nursery full of overexcitable over-sugared and easily queasy babies. Or also, when I'm not too busy stopping any football yobs from calling Chelsea fans bastards, idiots and shits. As that is wrong. Because as we all know, Chelsea fans are c**ts. That is a legal fact. To relax, I listen to the Murder Mile UK True Crime Podcast. So until Murder Mile returns, sit back and legally enjoy this episode of Mini Mile. Officer, where's Ron's Guinness? The corgis and I have got a right f***ing thirst on. I don't know, Mum. <coughs> Evening all. Friends, welcome to Mini Mile, your indispensable compendium of UK true crime trivia. This week... We'll take a peek at murderers who appeared on the telly. We'll discover what body parts are destroyed when a corpse is incinerated. We'll look at the meanings behind prison tattoos. We'll read a rather bizarre letter written by serial killer Dennis Nielsen. And we'll eyeball a London weirdo. And with only eight weeks until the season finale of Murder Mile Returns, here's this week's episode of Mini Mile. 
So let's kick off with a little How do you do? By learning more about some infamous murderers and serial killers on a more social level. This week, Celebrity! Which murderers or serial killers have appeared in films or TV shows prior, during or following their killing sprees? Number 1. John William Cooper, also known as the Bullseye Killer. In May 1989, John Cooper and his pal appeared on the ITV quiz show Bullseye, a darts-based tea-time show starring comedian Jim Bowen, Super Smashing Grit, where three teams of two rather lardy competitors throw darts at a dartboard to win prizes. Let's see what you could have won. Which were usually utter tosh, like a cuddly toy, a 21-inch stereo TV, a toasty maker, a tease maid, well this was the 1980s, and if they were two single men living at home with their mums, they'd usually win a fitted kitchen, one disabled competitor once won a running machine, and a couple living on a council estate in the middle of Wolverhampton city centre, once famously won a speedboat. Yes, a speedboat. Four years earlier, at Scoverston Park Farmhouse, on the 22nd of December 1985, John Cooper had burned siblings Richard and Helen Thomas alive in a bungled robbery. And then, one month after his appearance on Bullseye, he had tied up, robbed and brutally slaughtered holidaymakers Peter and Gwenda Dixon, having shot them in the face at point-blank range with a shotgun. His appearance on Bullseye helped to cement his conviction as he matched the artist's impression of the killer. Number 2. Stephen Port, also known as the Grinder Killer. Between June 2014 and September 2015, having met several young men on the gay dating app Grinder, Stephen Port drugged Anthony Patrick Waldgate, Gabriel Cavari, Daniel Whitworth, and Jack Taylor with lethal quantities of GBH. He raped them and dumped their bodies, making it look like they were suicides. Stephen Port is currently serving a whole life tariff, but the investigation is still ongoing as he is estimated to have murdered as many as 56 victims. During the same month that his first victim was discovered, whilst working as a cook in a local bus garage, Stephen Port appeared on the BBC's MasterChef, a TV cookery show where he helped supposed celebrities, JB Gill and Emma Barton, to make meatballs. Don't worry, I had no idea who these celebrities were either. Apparently JB Gill was in the boy band JLS, and Emma Barton played Honey Mitchell in EastEnders. Exactly. Who? Number 3. Ian Huntley, also known as the Sower Murderer. In the following two weeks after the disappearance of schoolgirls Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman, on the 4th of August 2002, Ian Kevin Huntley, a 29-year-old caretaker of Sowen Village College, appeared on Sky News and Look East, expressing shock at their vanishing. And yet, appearing to proactively assist the police with their search, he had in fact murdered the two friends in his home, barely yards from where he was filmed. Their bodies were found on the 17th of August 2002. He'd dumped them in a ditch near the perimeter fence of RAF Lakenheath in Suffolk. 
Huntley was sentenced to two life terms with a minimum sentence of 40 years in prison. Number four, Rodney Alcala, dubbed the dating game killer, and for good reason. Rodney Alcala is a convicted serial killer, kidnapper, and rapist who is currently awaiting execution on death row at San Quentin Prison in California for the rape and murder of seven women. Although it has been speculated that he may have murdered as many as 50 women. Therefore, it's shocking to see that in 1978, in the midst of his killing spree, having already been convicted of rape and registered as a sex offender, Rodney Alcala appeared as a contestant on the US TV show The Dating Game. It's like the American version of Blind Date. Oh, look, Chuck, there's a lot of love of murderers. Even more shockingly, he won the episode and his prize was to go on a date with contestant Cheryl Bradshaw. But luckily for her, she refused to go on a date with him as she found him too creepy. No shit. Number five, Shelley Matthew Malil. You may know him from supporting roles in TV shows like Scrubs, NYPD Blue, The West Wing, and ER, or as they call it in the West Country, Uar. Or most likely, as the Indian salesman working in the electronics store in the film The 40-Year-Old Virgin. On the 10th of August 2008, Malil stabbed his ex-girlfriend, Kendra Bibi, 25 times. Both of her lungs collapsed and she lost half of her blood, but miraculously, she survived. Malil was sentenced to life imprisonment with the possibility of parole after 14 years. But he was paroled in September 2018, having served just 10. Isn't justice great? It's not about the victim, it's about money. Number six, Paul Bateson. It's only a small scene, but in the iconic horror film, The Exorcist, when director William Friedkin was shooting the scene where Reagan, the possessed girl, undergoes a cartoid angiogram at the New York University Medical Center. To make the scene look more realistic, Friedkin decided to use a real X-ray technician called Paul Bateson. Six years after the film's release, Bateson was arrested for the murder of film critic Addison Verrill. Having met him in a Greenwich Village gay bar, returned to Verrill's apartment, had sex, and then crushed his skull with a skillet and stabbed him several times. But this was just the beginning. Whilst awaiting his trial, Bateson bragged that he had killed more than six people, chopping up their bodies, bagging up their bits in plastic bags, and dumping their dismembered body parts in the Hudson River. Bateson was an as-yet unidentified serial killer who had terrified the Bay between 1978 and 1979. And number seven, the imaginatively named Edward Wayne Edwards. Yes, well done to his parents. You really put a lot of thought into that one. On the 17th of October, 1972, Edward Wayne Edwards featured on the TV show To Tell the Truth. The idea of the show was that three people pretend to be the same person and the contestant has to work out who is telling the truth. The British equivalent was What's My Line? In this case, they had to pretend to be Edward Wayne Edwards, an ex-convict and minor celebrity who had rose to fame, having reformed his criminal ways, become a motivational speaker, an advocate for prison reform, 
and author of his best-selling autobiography. Only he was far from reformed, as between 1977 and 1996, Edward stabbed and strangled five people and is believed to have murdered several more. He was arrested in 2010 following a DNA sample and a tip-off from his own daughter and was sentenced to life in prison, but he died one year later. Of course, is that really a surprise that a serial killer would want to appear on a TV show? Look at the types of vain, arrogant and self-obsessed narcissist shitbags who prostitute themselves on shite like Love Island, Big Brother and any, inverted commas, talent show. And ask yourself, who have they killed? Yeah, exactly. And now, as there's no extra mile in these mini-mile episodes, I know, shock, what will you do? For those who are going to miss it, here's a little dollop of extra mile to tide you over. Oh look, I'm making a cup of tea. Oh look, I'm adding the sugar now. Ah, and there, I've added the powdered milk. Hmm, will I have a biscuit, or won't I? Hmm, what a quandary. Oh look, a coot. Ah, well that was good. And now, back to the show. And now it's time to get technical. Let's get technical, technical. I want to get technical, let's get a robot testicle, let me hear your bollocks clang, your bollocks clang, let me hear your bollocks clang, and etc. Robo testicles, what an invention. I'd like one which clangs like Big Ben, every hour, on the hour. One which holds an emergency double shot of whiskey, and refills itself. And another which squeaks when you squeeze it, just to confuse any sniffer dogs. Yes, that's right, I want three testicles. So, as always, let's rip apart those CSI-style crime shows and ask, how exactly does it work? This week, the disposal of human remains. What burns, what doesn't, and at what temperatures? When a human is legally incinerated in a crematorium, the body is placed in a casket, usually but not always made from a combustible material. Now there are many different factors which determine how long it takes to completely incinerate a human body. Height, weight, density, fat and muscle ratio, but the average adult cadaver usually takes around two hours at 1000 degrees Celsius to be totally destroyed. That said, a body isn't just burned, it actually goes through a period of being chemically broken down into its component parts. In the first stage, the intense heat dries the body of its liquids, as the human body comprises of at least 60% fluid, with some parts of the brain and lungs as much as 90%. Next it burns the hair and the skin, which contracts and chars the muscles. It also vaporizes the soft tissue and converts the bone into a brittle dry powdered calcium. Burnt bodies emit a very obvious smell, like charred flesh, boiled fat, 
and the methane which a decomposing body expels. But there are no smells when it is burnt in the crematorium, as the flames and smoke destroy any gases, and each crematorium has an exhaust system to remove any noxious vapours. That's a bit of kit that I could certainly do with. If a body isn't completely destroyed after two to three hours, a secondary afterburner at a higher temperature is used to complete the task. Hair will always burn first, as it's on the surface and it is dry and brittle. The lungs, brain and other internal organs, which mostly comprise of water, they dry up, shrivel and burn. Whereas bone won't burn, as even after all of its fluid has depleted, the bone still remains intact, although it will be dry, brittle and can crumble into a dust. Likewise, teeth, which is the only external part of our human skeleton, that won't burn, but after incineration it will become very brittle and dry, but like the skeleton, it will need assistance to be completely destroyed. To aid this, the crematorium technician will remove and crush the skeletal remains with a long hoe-like rod, removing any foreign objects, like nails, screws and hinges from the casket, using a magnet and a large sieve, with any obvious objects, like false teeth, prosthetics, implants, jewellery and any pacemakers, because the battery inside them will cause them to explode. These will be removed prior to cremation. Finally, the bone fragments are placed inside a cremulator, which is a large mixer with metal balls, which assist in the crushing of the bones into a fine pasty white ash. After cremation, an average sized adult cadaver is usually reduced to between three and seven pounds of ash, which is kind of ironic given that many of us are seven pounds in weight when we are born. After cremation, no trace of DNA exists and no current identification can be made. So if you're a murderer and you don't have access to a crematorium, sadly, the average home oven only reaches temperatures of 250 degrees Celsius, which will destroy the body eventually, but it will take days, if not weeks, and it'll stink like high heaven. A bit like pork scratchings. Yummy. Therefore, I'd recommend making a bonfire as temperatures vastly exceed 1000 degrees Celsius. And as you will see in my recent episode on Emily Bell BK, a simple log fire can completely destroy a thigh or a human head within a few hours. Nice. Of course, I hate to be serious, but please remember that murder is illegal. So if you are planning to kill your fat-headed and tiny penist or saggy vulvered boss, please, please, please remember to murder them in Soho or somewhere in the West End and make sure their death is sad but funny. I thank you. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? We're having a good old giggle about people's deaths. Ah, happy days. So now, let's move on to the part of the show where my soul dies a little as I haul myself out by playing you a series of adverts, just so I can afford to eat, but mostly so I can buy my lovely girlfriend, Eva Green, even more shoes. <sighs> that is, of course, if my podcast host, Acast, actually remembers who I am and deems me worthy of receiving ten pence once every... Oh, a rather cheesy sound effect of a phone is ringing. Hmm, 
I wonder who that could be. Hi, it's Mike. Hiya, Acast here. Oh, hi, Acast. It's been a while. How have you been? Ah, we've been so busy. So busy. Busy, 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 busy bees. First off, the vodka shop ping pong table broke. So we had to replace it with an indoor Sambuca go-kart track, a sushi ski slope, a cocaine monorail, hookah pipes carved from unicorn horns, and a jacuzzi filled with the salty tears of impoverished podcasters. It's surprisingly refreshing. And then we had to do some work. Oh, poor you. I take it you asked for a pay rise. Of course. What do you take me for? An idiot. So, anyway, I just wanted to say, we love your podcast, we think you're ace, and we want to pay you lots of money and give you everything you need to make your podcast a big success. Anything you want, Mark, just ask. Anything? Like an advert in the middle of my show? Oh, yes. Oh, wow, that's great, thank you. Uh, But please, just once, call me by my real name. It's Mike. Mike? Yes, Mike. Not Mark? No, not Mark. Oh, so you're not Mark Rylance, the actor, and his new podcast, Rylance Does Silence, an hour of absolute nothing, but we love it because he's dead famous like? No, that's not me. Oh, so you're not Mark Williams from the TV series The Fast Show, doing his catchphrases like, this week I will be mostly eating vodka jelly shots and such like. Uh, No, that's not me either. Oh, so you're not Mark Owen from Take That, doing his new podcast, Could This Be Tragic, where his famous chums tell us about sad things that happen to them, as famous people find real people too boring to talk to. And real people stupidly think stories are more interesting if it happens to someone who's famous. No, that's not me either. I'm Mike, Mike from Murder Mile, the show you've never heard of. Asking once again if there's actually going to be an advert in this week's episode or not, as the case usually is. So, will there be an advert in this show? You know, Mark, I don't know. (sighs) And so, here's either an advert or a gap. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And now for a new section called Doing Bird where we learn a little bit about life inside prison. To research this, I deliberately committed a very shocking and heinous crime. For what you have not been forgiven, and next time you touch my Guinness, I shall lop off your bonds. Sorry, officer. And therefore, I was sent to prison, where I did my porridge, I tossed the salad, I made a shank, I believe it was a lamb shank, I was made to bend over and squeal, as someone had left a piece of Lego on the floor, and that shit sure does smart and I became the wing's new toast rack. Alternatively, I could have just done a school term at Eton, and you wonder why Tory politicians are so obnoxious. This week, we'll be looking at prison tattoos. What do they mean? In most Western prisons, getting a tattoo done inside prison is both illegal and unsanitary, as inmates don't have access to proper equipment, so they make use of a variety of household objects such as staples, paper clips, and lighters, with an improvised black ink made from pen ink, but also such horrible substances as melted plastic, soot, shampoo, and melted styrofoam cups. Yikes. All of which can cause skin irritation, infections, blood poisoning, and death. The most common tattoos are these. Cobwebs. A small black cobweb tattooed on the elbow signifies a prison sentence. The design suggests that the prisoner has been resting on his or her elbow for so long that a spider has made a web there, and it is implied that the length of the web signifies the length of the sentence. Although surely, if this is true, it would be more appropriate to have a tattoo of a spider's web on their arse, or maybe even their genitals. A teardrop. A familiar tattoo in prison is the teardrop under the eye. But which eye is important? Under the right eye, a teardrop, depending on the prison, can suggest that they've committed a murder with the number of tears indicating how many people they've killed, that a fellow inmate, family member or gang cohort has been murdered and that they're seeking revenge. Or, if the teardrop is an outline only, it signifies an attempted murder. Whereas a teardrop under the left eye signifies that the prisoner is or was previously owned by a convict, that they were someone's bitch, and that they were raped in prison. That said, some female prisoners also have a teardrop tattoo to symbolise a kinship with a spouse on the outside, or simply to express a loss of a loved one. What started originally as a very clear message of what a teardrop tattoo actually meant has changed a lot over the years. Therefore, as different prisons alternate the meaning, a teardrop tattoo could mean the death of a gang member in one prison and that you've been raped in another, which must be confusing. If it was me, I'd have a tattoo which reads, I'm doing six years for stealing a copper's Guinness. No bum sex, thank you very much. 
Dots. Small dots on the hands or around the eyes have different significance. A small single dot under the eye is sometimes known as the jail dot and signifies one ex-convict to another in a very discreet way, as the dot could easily be confused with a freckle or a paint fleck if you don't know what you're looking for. That said, it could also mean, hi, I'm a new parent with a toddler and I've just bought them a paint set. Two dots, side by side, represent a sibling, relative or a loved one who is also incarcerated or is dead, similar to the teardrop but more subtle. Although a dot between the thumb and forefinger of both hands indicates entering a prison and leaving prison, i.e. time served. Three dots, shaped like a triangle, either has Christian symbolism representing the Holy Trinity, a tattoo that surely all priests have, or an affiliation with gang life. Again, big up me Twyford Massive and the rude boys at St Barnabas's Jumble Sale, as Reverend Colin, AK-47, Big Shiv, must surely say. Four dots, shaped like a square, usually around the knuckles, mean A-C-A-B, all cops are bastards. A tattoo for monosyllabic morons who blame the police for rudely interrupting their criminal career by catching them. Bad police! Bad, bad, bad. How dare they? Five dots, with four in a square shape and one in the centre, represents time served in prison. The middle dot being the prisoner, and the wider the dots, the longer the sentence. Think of prison tats as like the prison version of LinkedIn. Let's call it Inktin. <laughs> really, they should tattoo their prison skills on their arms. A spoon signifies I can cook. A lawnmower means I don't grass, and a hot dog means my butthole is big enough to smuggle in a whole half pound of sausage meat, which is always useful if you're having a barbecue. Playing cards. These are really popular in Russian prisons. A playing card can mean that a person likes gambling, or it means that the person treats their life like it's a gamble, or each deck of cards actually has its own meaning. So hearts means that the person is looking for love. Spades means they're a thief, clubs are reserved for rapists and sex pests, and diamonds for stool pigeons and informants. Obviously, these tattoos are not done by choice, they're done by force. Which really does mean that if you have one of these tattoos, your life really is a gamble. And then there's barbed wire. Again, this symbolises a prison sentence, with each thorn representing a year inside prison whereas barbed wire tattooed across the forehead means that they're serving a life sentence without parole. And yet if you have one of those tattoos, surely for the rest of your life outside prison, you're going to have to spend your whole life explaining to people what your tattoo means until you're so bored that you end up killing them just so you can get back into prison so you don't have to tell that bloody story again. And then when you're in there, because you're on a longer sentence, you have to get a longer tattoo. Is it really worth it? So, let's dispel a few tattoo misconceptions. Stars behind the ear. If a female prisoner has a number of stars behind her ear, it is usually thought to mean that the number of stars represent how many children she currently has in care. But it isn't. Originally, this was a bit of a fashion from the 1980s, 1990s, which is supposed to mean hope, ambition, or loss. But to be honest, like most tattoos, it can mean whatever you want it to mean. A swallow tattoo. 
Some people believe that a swallow tattoo represents a prison sentence, with the length of the swallow's tail denoting the time served in prison. But this is untrue. Originally this was a symbol used by sailors to denote a successful voyage, a tour of duty, and in the 17th, 18th and 19th century, one swallow meant that the sailor had travelled 5,000 nautical miles, and two swallows meant the sailor had travelled 10,000 nautical miles, etc, etc. If you ever see a prisoner with a tattoo marked with two small but jagged letters, like two lightning strikes, shaped like the letters SS, usually 7mm long and placed 20cm above the elbow heading towards the armpit, that is a symbol of the Waffen-SS and indicates that they are a Nazi sympathiser. Nice people. That's sarcasm. Alternatively, if they want to show that they're a bit of a racist, they could just tattoo on their arm, I am a cut. Although I guess, writing SS saves on ink. And of course, if they ever leave prison and decide to stop being a massive arse candle, they could pretend that SS stands for solid stools, suggesting that they're a sufferer of constipation. Top tip there, top tip. Of course, some of these tattoos are done not to have a specific meaning, but simply because the person thinks they look nice. But they don't. They look shit. They might as well just get a tattoo of a dog doing a massive dump as its steaming turd spells out their name. Or just wipe some dog shit on their arms and have done with it. Next week, I plan to set up a tattoo parlour called Dodgy Doggy Bum Nugget Tattoos. If you're keen, I can only do designs which are brown, smelly and smudgy. Hey, what's that plopping through my letterbox? Is it a ludicrously huge check from Acast for all of the adverts they've given me because Mark Rylance's Silence with Rylance doesn't have any space? Nope. Is it hate mail from an ex-convict wondering why his new brown tattoo has really stinky ink? Possibly. Is it yet another love letter from Eva Green pleading with me about when we're going to get jiggy like two sweaty piggies? As apparently, she's a woman who has needs, and how could I be so cruel taunting her with my raw sexiness? Okay, Eva, I give in. You can have me. Ugh, the sacrifices I make. No, sadly it's not. As that sound is the DEAD LETTER DROP! Yes, each week I'll read you a rather mundane letter written by a serial killer. This week, ah, he's back. Sees the return of a little friend from my very own Murder Mile Walk, who, when he's not making a rather heady batch of mulled wine, enjoys corresponding with all and sundry, some of whom are more unstable than him. It is, of course, the kindly killer himself, Dennis Nielsen. Ah, Dennis. To learn more about Dennis, either listen to episodes 11 and 12 of this podcast, or come on my Murder Mile Walk every Sunday at 11am. Hint, hint, buy some tickets. This letter is dated the 6th of August 2002. It was sent from his cell at HMP Full Sutton in York, where he had been incarcerated for 19 years on a whole life tariff, and it is addressed to someone called Simon. And although we don't have Simon's original letter, I think we can get the gist. As always, I shall read this letter in an inappropriate voice of my choosing. 
that's a kind offer. Thank you, Bob Dylan. Uh, but you can't read it this week, as although you're very talented, you are a mumbling fool. Wait about me, Jimmy Nasbat. No, thank you, not you, Jimmy Nesbitt. Not until you've learned to say your name correctly. Well, what about me, cheeky scouser and comedian John Bishop? Yeah, 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 okay, look, maybe next time, John Bishop. But this time, I shall do it myself, in a rather offensive Welsh accent. In it, what's I do then? All right, but... So, the letter from Dennis Nielsen reads as such. Dear Simon, thank you for your letter dated the 2nd of August. In it you say you have an interest in crime. Is this a healthy or an unhealthy interest? Or are you taking it up as a profession? If so, you would be better advised to write to a professional criminal whose lifestyle centers around criminal activities. If your interest includes, as you suggest, finding out what causes people to do it, perhaps you can enlighten me by revealing your conclusions. Serial killers don't mastermind their extreme actions. They flow from a desperate situation, from the building stresses of personal emotional dysfunction. I don't think that the media blow traumatic homicide events out of all proportions per se. What they do do is engage in reinvented snowballing effects of continuing theories, conspiracies and journalistic speculation, bringing to bear on the subject at hand much license or invention. States don't look for causes. They demand punishment and vengeance to quell populist fears and dilute personal agony through magical solutions. The last thing that any politician wants to hear is the truth. And the police and the law, with popular journalism, have long since forgotten where they put it. One just has to find one's own informed way around these bold reported facts and ignore the superficial padding. People who devour true crime magazines tend to know sod all about true crime. It's written in a very boring fashion, to a set formula, as is the reporting of crime in the newspapers. I'm not condemning the sun or the news of the world out of hand. After all, they do make good insulating material for fish and chips. As for hobbies and interests, I seem to be verging on the realm of being a bit of a dilettante, I hope I'm spelling that correctly. I have no access to the internet, nor free access to computers, other than in my work in the Braille unit, where I am learning to transcribe ordinary text into Braille. I have already written two autobiographies already, History of a Drowning Boy and Papers of a Prisoner. The Home Office is busily engaged in obstructing the future production of these works. They will not allow me to disseminate these published works to anyone in the public domain, whether they are published in the future or not. I have signed your card as you requested. Yours sincerely, Des Nielsen. Oh, thank you, Dennis. You're so good, I really think you could have got a job as an agony aunt. Dear Dennis, my flat really stinks. Should I try a new bleach or just get rid of the bodies? Dear Dennis, I find it difficult to pull the boys. Can you recommend a good chat-up line? Other than, do you fancy wearing that tie forever? Or oh, of course there's. Dear Dennis, can you recommend a different festive drink? As I think you've put me off mulled wine forever. Ah, a little private joke there for people who've been on my walk.
And now, True Crime Swapsy Time! Where each week I shall share with you another true crime podcast, which you might like or might not like. Here's the clip. Hey lady murderers! Welcome to our true crime podcast, called Murder! Hello! Where me and my bestie friend, hello, from like forever, oh my god, drink wine, make whooping noises, and tell everyone how neurotic we are, because we're so neurotic. Oh my god, we're like so crazy too. Check me, I'm crazy, yeah? So, this week like, I was like researching this case. Oh my god, you're like a detective. I know, like I spent a whole six minutes on Wikipedia. Oh my god, six minutes, that's like almost seven. Hello, hello. So I read about this guy called Jeffrey Daimler, Dick Daimler, Daimler, Daimbar, oh who cares. Oh my god, he reminds me of my last boyfriend. He made me so crazy. Anyway, he killed like, oh I don't know, 10 people or 50 or something like that. Oh my god, he reminds me of my other ex-boyfriend. He was like 10 or 50 or something like that. So anyway, he stabbed them with a gun or something. I don't know. Ugh, are we done yet? I've like exhausted all of my facts and I'm like so tired already. Oh my god, I'm so tired too. I'm crazy, like my ex-boyfriend. Oh, screw this. Let's drink and talk about me. Yay! Woo! Woo! Yeah! Come check out our show, girlfriends. We're on, uh, places. Hello? Murder Hello is a fictional podcast. It's a spoof of some of the shit which is out there at the moment and is not to be taken seriously. You cannot find it on any podcast as it doesn't exist and is not meant to represent any other podcast which does exist. And if you decide it does sound good to you and that you'd happily waste your life listening to a like this, you deserve to be shot or hung from a tall tower by your eardrums. Good luck. And now, onto the final section of Mini Mile. A new bit which I shall call London Weirdos. Alright, mate. Alright, geez. Is you a weirdo? Yeah, mate. Am I right freaking wrong and I am? Lovely jabbly me old China. Come on in, you natter. This week, I shall entertain you with a little tale about Paul Lovell. Are you sitting comfortably? Then be prepared to sit uncomfortably, and I shall begin. In January 2014, 61-year-old computer geek Paul Lovell was handed a four-month custodial sentence at Woodgreen Crown Court for trying to have sex with a sheep after a cow had turned him down for a blowjob. Yes, you heard that correctly. Situated in a field near Tottenham Hotspur's training ground, dressed in nothing but his socks and shoes, the white-haired bovine botherer Paul Lovell tried to insert his erect penis into a cow's mouth. But when the anticlimactic cow decided not to blow the pervert's pecker, Paul wasn't upset. Instead, he pointed his dungy dangler towards a sheep and attempted to shag that instead. Witnessed by tree surgeon Lawrence Stephen, who was enjoying a picnic with his girlfriend at the time, when they saw Paul Lovell getting lewd with the livestock, of his actions, Lawrence later said, The way he was walking around, I could tell that he felt like he was the only person in the world. He seemed like he was very comfortable with what he was doing, as if it was normal. He was trying to thrust his waist towards the cows, and using his hands to get the cow's mouth near his crotch. I can't remember him forcing the cow, but the cows wandered off into the next field, 
leaving Lovell to walk over towards some sheep, clutching a can of skull and a Sainsbury's bag with his clothes in. The police later found out that the bag also contained an adult nappy. Prosecutors claimed he was trying to get the sheep to perform oral sex on him and then attempted to insert his penis into either the animal's anus or vagina. Lovell said that he had been sleeping and the idea that he thrust against a sheep was completely ridiculous. In court, he said, The only time I saw the sheep was when I woke up. I was surrounded by sheep about two metres away. There was about 10 to 12 sheep, something like that. I don't particularly like animals hanging around me when I'm sleeping. So I sat up, sort of clapped my hands a bit, but they didn't take much notice of that. So I stood up briefly and stamped my feet on the ground to clap my hands again. I can understand that somebody from a long distance away would have wondered what was happening when I was trying to chase the sheep away from my location. Police claimed that when they arrived, Lovell had his shorts down, but he insisted they were up at all times. He told the police that he was just relaxing. Lovell was found guilty of outraging decency by trying to commit sexual acts with animals in public places. You see, folks, some people actually complain about getting jury duty, and others don't. I wonder why. And before we go, here's a little message from our friends at Cult With No Name, who very kindly provide the bulk of the amazing music in the Murder Mile podcast, and who definitely, they have assured me, they definitely don't have sex with cows or sheep. So here's a little message. Hello, this is Eric Stein from Cult With No Name, and we proudly provide all the music for the fabulous Murder Mile podcast. We have a new album, Media Burn, which is being released on the 11th of October 2019 on CD with download code and download. You can find out more about it at cultwithnoname.com or purchase and stream in all the usual places, uh, including our Bandcamp page, cultwithnoname.bandcamp.com. Bye for now. As Eric says, Media Burn is the new album by Cult With No Name. It's available now. I've had the privilege to listen to it, and it is fabulous. If you like the music that you hear, the Murder Mile True Crime Podcast theme tune actually comes from a track called Man in a Bag, which is on their album, Air of the Dog. And the music for Mini Mile is called Start It Again, and that's from the album called Paper Wraps Rock. Cult With No Name do loads of gigs around London, the UK, Europe, and they recently did a US tour. So if you go to see them live, and you hear a fat, bald man shouting, CWN rules! That'll be me. To buy the album, there's a link in the show notes. And now you know. So my slightly weirded out, and now I'm guessing, recent converts to veganism, who can never look at a creamy, frothy milkshake in the same way ever again, that was your weekly dose of Mini Mile. I hope it was utterly brilliant, ha ha ha, truly amusing, ha ha ha, and cow shaggingly fun. Sorry, I ran out of puns. Mini Mile will be running for a couple of weeks, either six or eight, while I finish the research for the new exciting Murder Mile multipart series, which ends this season. And also gearing us up for the next year ahead. Oh, yes. 
there are lots more murder miles to come. And if you have any comments about Mini Mile, any original questions you are desperate to know the answer to, or any unusual topics you'd love me to research and discuss, let me know. Contact me via email, my website, or social media. And a big thank you to my new Patreon supporters, who are Frank Pinter, Chris Swain Randolph, and Tara Bree. I thank you. Everyone who is a patron of Murder Mile not only gets my thanks, a weekly ebook, and exclusive photos, but also a thank you card of Murder Mile goodies, complete with stickers, badges, a fridge magnet, and an official Murky Miler badge. Ooh. And that is the end of that. Love to you all, folks. Tatty bye! Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.